Hi, and welcome to Drawing Inspiration. I am your host, Mike Hendley. In this podcast, I look beyond the pencils, the brushes, the sketchbooks, and the iPads to discover what it means to be an artist. Join me as I speak to other creatives about their journey, as well as reflecting on my own artwork and experiences. Episode 85, Exploring Landscapes Around the World with Art Toolkit founder, Maria Coriel Martin. Hi, everyone, and welcome back. I would like to first thank all my Patreon supporters and those who've bought me a paintbrush or just shared the podcast with a friend. If you are interested in supporting the podcast in this way, I always include links in the show notes. So thank you once again. Without all of you, uh, this wouldn't be possible. So thank you. So I've been working with Etcher for the last few months in doing a few giveaways, and we do have another one coming up. I'm not going to share details just yet. This one is a little bit bigger and will involve something from me as well. So we will uh, schedule that. Keep an eye on my Instagram feed as well as the podcast, and you will be uh, able to see it as soon as I post it. I think you're going to like this one, and so we're just waiting for things to fall into place. It may be in time for the next podcast, but we'll see. So just keep an eye out on my Instagram. That's that's probably where I'll announce it first. And uh, yeah, so I, I think you're going to like this one. So thanks again, Etcher, for supporting this podcast and creatives worldwide. In the meantime, if you are buying anything from Etcher directly, you can use the code MikeH, that's M-I-K-E-H, for 10% off your next order. So in the last few days, last five days, I attended the Wild Wonder Conference. You'll remember that we gave away some tickets here on the show for that, and I did see those attendees, so that was kind of cool. I attended the conference. I actually took time off work so I could do so, and it was incredible. It was a just it was packed it was five days of talks and opportunities to connect with other nature journalers from around the world i mean there's so much to this it's not just uh, john muir laws and the books and everything that he's done but it's all the cast surrounding that and all these people working in the background make, making sure the zoom calls happen <laughs> that they they start when they should and they end when they should and uh, being able to reach out to all these other creatives and have them speak and share their talks. And it's it was just a wonderful experience. I am for sure doing this uh, next year, if not every year. I uh, had no idea of the impact this would have on me. I was able to do so much artwork, just listening and engaging with some of the talks, but just working on my own materials and being able to watch and listen to these people talk about their journeys and their work and their specialties and their areas of interest. It was just, it was fantastic. The nice thing about it is I did miss some, but you can go back and rewatch these uh, as an attendee using Zoom as well and watch the recordings. And I'm going to probably watch a few of these again and again because I just got so much out of them. So I think it was, it was fantastic. I was able to connect with a few other artists. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to wild wonder 2023 and see what happens at that point so yeah this was uh it was a great few days so one of the things that i get asked a lot about is is what's in my kit and so i'm using a service now uh, called kit which allows me to put in all those products that i use and it allows you to kind of see those products and you can purchase them directly if they're available and in some cases, it is with Amazon, uh, it could be Walmart, it could be directly from the supplier themselves. And with those that I link to with Amazon, 
um, their affiliate links. So if you purchase something, I get a small percentage uh, based on that purchase, but it gives you an opportunity to see these products. If you decide to buy them elsewhere, that is fantastic. But I've been looking at a way to kind of showcase this on a single page, and this is what I'm going to start doing. So it gives you the details. If you want to go purchase it, you can. If you want to defer it to later, that's cool as well, or buy it elsewhere. But it is uh, kind of a single resource for that, and I can add comments as to what I use and why I use it. And so I'm starting to build this out. I'll include a link in the show notes to this. I am eventually going to add a tab to my mikehenley.com website that will say gear and I will link to everything whether I use it in studio or whether I use it for plein air painting like the chair that I use or the umbrella that I find helpful I'm going to include all of that and then you can just um, take a look at what I use and I'll keep it updated as I move through different products the palette I use now is different than the palette I used a year ago but I'm going to try and keep it current and give you some insight into what I've been using and what I've been happy with. I'm probably not going to do it for all the paints, but I think at one point I will include a view of my current palette. And as we all run through this, sometimes those palettes change over time. But there are certain colors that I go to on a regular basis, and I can share with you what those colors are and what my palette is at this point in time. So once again, it's uh, I'm going to include a, a link in the show notes to this kit page. And I will be adding a menu item to my site that says gear and I'll include um, and, and that'll point directly to this kit page. So I hope you'll find that helpful in understanding kind of what I use day in and day out in my studio to create uh, the work that I do. So as a matter of art updates, I've done a few more perpetual journal entries and uh, Lara Cole Castinger, who was on the podcast, did a talk at Wild Wonder. So that was kind of cool to see her speaking and talking about the perpetual journal. So I did uh, mushrooms and uh, buckeye leaves. This is fall for us, which is a beautiful time of year. So there's going to be a lot of fall-inspired pieces in the next few weeks in my journal. I also did an entry of a wood frog. We had, uh, we've had a few of them around here, so I was able to capture one of those through a photo and do that wood frog uh, watercolor piece. Once again, you know whether it's the wood frog or uh, the pill bug I did, which is a, a roly-poly or also known as an isopod, or the blue spotted salamander. In those three cases, I'm working with the same materials. I'm sketching with uh, Micron uh, 005 with sepia ink. I do a loose sketch in that, and then I come in with my transparent watercolors, and if needed, I will add a little bit of white gouache at the end to work on the highlights. I tend not to protect the white as much because I'm working so quickly, and most of these are probably about an hour uh, that I've spent on these pieces. And these are just quick studies in my A6 etcher sketchbook. And I'm, I like the hot press paper. So that's what I'm using for these kind of quick studies. And then for my perpetual journal, which I mentioned earlier, that's an A4 etcher sketchbook. And that's once again, a uh, hot press paper so that I've got that flexibility. Or for example, if I want to do one piece in colored pencil, I could do that with hot press. And so that's why I'm kind of focusing on the hot press. I still love the cold press sketchbooks that I'm using. But for a lot of this stuff, I'm working in hot press because I can get that kind of detail that I really like. And the sketching is much more pleasant on the um, on the hot press paper versus the cold press. So the other piece that I'm working on, that which should come out later this week, I'll post a link to it, is a bobcat that I'm doing in graphite. So I haven't done kind of a larger graphite piece in some time. And I just, I've said it before, I love pencil. This is my first love. I will always be doing pencil work. So I decided to do this bobcat 
So this Bobcat is based off a reference photo, not mine, <laughs> but I purchased this reference photo because I thought it was just a beautiful piece and it just spoke to me that I need to do this, I need to do it in pencil. So it's a nine by 12 uh, piece. I'm using just one pencil and that is the Graph Gear uh, 1000 from Pentel. It is a 0.3 millimeter pencil, mechanical pencil with a 2B lead. And then I'm using some blue tack to kind of lift off uh, the, um, the graphite if I need to. So that's what I'm using as a matter of tools for this. I'll be posting it later this week. I think in total, it's probably gonna be about six or seven hours work on this piece. And once again, nine by 12, and it's on uh, Bristol smooth uh, paper. So yeah, it's, uh, it's nice to be drawing a graphite again. And uh, I have two other pieces. I have another gouache piece that I'm doing on black watercolor paper. I'm going to share that as I get into it, but I'm not going to say too much about it. And the other is a larger piece, which is going to be done in acrylic. So I just used gesso for the first time. And so I toned this whole canvas in uh, black gesso. And this piece, I think it's the canvas is two foot by three foot. And that'll be my um, my first kind of acrylic piece. I've been playing with another acrylic piece, which I'm still going to go back to. I'm going to go big <laughs> and see what happens here. I have no idea if this, this is going to turn out. So, But I'm going to, uh, to video it through the process, and I'll share those through my Instagram and maybe do some snapshots through my blog on uh, at mykenley.com as well. So that's it for updates. Before we head into the interview, I just wanted to mention that as we're talking through the interview, uh, Maria mentions our toolkit and a discount. So she has offered a discount to listeners of the podcast. You can get 10% off your order through our toolkit, and you have to use the code MHDRAWS10. That's MHDRAWS10, which is valid until December 31st of this year. And so I will include this in the show notes. And I'll mention it again at the very end of the show, but I just wanted to, you're going to hear her talk about that. And I wanted to give you a heads up. I was thinking, well, I could tease and say, you know, you have to listen to the whole podcast, but I just wanted to be transparent with you. That is the code. And uh, that gives you 10% off your next order through our toolkit. So on that, let's head into the interview. My guest this week has had a profound impact on my art. Her travels around the world as an expeditionary artist have inspired me to take a closer look at areas around my house, my city, and my province. Her wonderful landscape paintings are also tempting me to try some of my own. Through her travels, she sought the best and lightest painting tools, which led to the creation of her company, Art Toolkit. The Art Toolkit palettes, tools, and sketchbooks have become the standard kit for many artists working in the field or in their studio, kitchen, or living room. To talk about her creative journey, I welcome to the Drawing Inspiration Podcast, Maria Coriel Martin. Hi, Maria. How are you? Hi, Mike. Really happy to be here. Thanks so much for, for having me on. I'm so excited about this. I've been following you for quite some time, and I've been using the Art Toolkit supplies, and I love them. So we're going to talk about not just that, but your work as an artist and some of the wonderful places you've been and some of the wonderful things you've done. And I'm just, I'm so excited. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on to the podcast. Oh, you're welcome. I know nothing really excites me more than just creativity and community. And it's so much fun to connect with other artists around the world. That's awesome. Now, I always like to start, as I always do, with the origin story. Maria as a child and then growing up, were you the creative type? Is this something you came to later in life or were you always that way as you were growing up as a kid? 
I was always drawing, and um, I have to say it's fun. I'm, I'm the mother of now a seven-year-old girl who's also always drawing. <laughs> um, so I always had sketchbooks around. My parents were, were really supportive, and um, one of my earliest memories was drawing on the wall and my mother saying, Maria, you know, who did this? And at a young age, I liked to blame things on the clouds. And I'd say, oh, the clouds did it. And Funny enough, cl painting clouds is really one of my passions. I love skies and the sense of space. So I like to think that I've, I've kept up this relationship with them over the years. <laughs> you brought that with you through school. Is it something you pursued as, as a career? Like, or, or not as a career, but as uh, after you left high school, is that something that you pursued in, in college, university? Like, how, how, did, how closely did art follow you as you traveled through your education? Yeah, so bumping back a little bit, my father is a scientist, um, now retired, but a remote sensing oceanographer. So did a lot of work wow. with satellites and studying the formation of sea ice. And so when I was young, he'd be up on these expeditions uh, to the Arctic. And uh, I had big maps of the Arctic over my bedroom walls. <laughs> and so I spent a lot of time kind of thinking about these regions and, and was really interested in science. You know, we these giant parkas I'd go try on in our hall closet uh, and so I actually, I thought I'd be a scientist and really always loved being outdoors and biology. And something that started to shift for me was when I was in sixth grade, my family lived in Tokyo for seven months and we, we'd done some other trips to Japan as well with my father's work. So for the, the longer stint, he was teaching there and I was going to school and uh, really connected with a traditional Japanese brush maker uh, named Mr. Sakuma, who became a, a real mentor and inspiration to me. And my mother and I would go up and paint with Mr. Sakuma. And he gave me just dozens of brushes, beautiful handmade paint brushes. And we'd practice brush strokes together. And before uh, I left Tokyo, when I was 11 or 12 years old, his uh, wife cut off my ponytail and he made a brush out of my own hair wow. as a, a coming-of-age gift and said that was a tradition in Japan as a coming-of-age for, for children. And so uh, it was a real affirmation to me of the ways that art can forge connections and was a real tool for me to bridge language barriers with you know kids I would meet, we'd hang out and draw, and was also just you know my own tool for expressing myself and passing the time of just making art. And so I found in high school that I didn't have any real formal art classes besides a photography one, but I'd sneak art into everything I did, watercolor sketches, doing, you know, little illustrated stories and things, say for English classes. And a next real formative experience for me was participating with the uh, Juno Icefield Research Program. And hmm. uh, I think my first one was in summer of 1998. I spent two summers up there and the program first as a student and later as an artisan resident and, and staff assistant. It's all about studying glaciology and mountaineering and completing this real marvelous traverse on the ice field from Juneau to Atlan, Canada over a period of about eight weeks. And I really, it, it was, you know, inspiring landscape and being in the space and the, the field science was great fun. And also just really appreciated the different perspectives that we can bring to a place of learning to approach an environment from these different perspectives, from science, from wilderness safety, and then through the eyes of an artist and got me really excited about how I might bridge all of my interests of um, science, art, education, the outdoors. And I think it was on, on that trip when I began dreaming about being an expeditionary artist. <laughs> That's incredible. And it's interesting you talk about observation because that is so key when you're an artist, right, is, is being open to, especially if you're coming into it for the first time, is understanding that 
observation is an important skill. But your point about everyone comes at it with a different view is, is important too, because we don't want to have all the same ability in observing, but we want to open ourselves up to that opportunity in seeing things possibly differently than we have seen it before and being more accommodating and, and being more open to this opportunity of discovery rather than just focusing on the stuff that we ignore, the stuff that we filter out that we feel isn't important to us, right? Whether it's the clouds, whether it's the trees, whether it's the color of the ice. And uh, you bring up a really good point. I, I It's wonderful that you kind of embraced that even back then in, in 98, being able to understand that people are coming out with different views and their discussion about, did you realize what you just walked on possibly or whatever the case, right, is something important. And uh, it's it's wonderful being around that. Yeah, it makes it more fun, right? Because it, it's all getting to learn, you know, deeper stories about things. And one thing I love about science is how much you can just geek out about something that, you know, this sort of narrow field of really diving deep into it. And um, whether it's, you know, lichens or, you know, movements of a glacier and following that history and um, and to get to go spend time and, and learn about that really excites me and helps me appreciate, you know, the aesthetics and everything that I'm soaking up as well, um, even more so. And I think that, uh, you know, what I noticed, especially in having young kids, is that you kind of license yourself to, to, to explore more of that. You know, we, we started raising monarch butterflies because our daughters hadn't seen them before. And we thought, what a great opportunity. So we ended up doing that. And <laughs> a few years ago, my daughter and I went look, looking for tardigrades and we found some and it was like, wow, I, they were always here. And we didn't even <laughs> know they were. And I think it's it's being open to that opportunity that it, it's, it's around you all the time and being able to observe it and embrace it. Uh, it can be a real impactful experience that could change how you do things. Like the, our raising of monarchs has completely changed me, my mm-hmm. kids, my wife. Um, it, it has impacted my art and uh, I, I'm I'm seeing when I see the stuff that you do, I can see there's an expeditionary artist in there. <laughs> when I look at the content and the things that you posted, and I, I'm wondering is so in '98 you did this experience up in Juneau. Were you were you drawing and painting at that point? Uh, I was sketching, so uh, you know that was just part of what I would do was was have art supplies with me, and then and then on the, the next trip up there had more of a formal residency where I was really sketching all of the time. But in school, I went to Carleton College in Northfield, Minnesota. And uh, being in that landscape, you know, spent a lot of time both enjoying the big skies and then figuring out how to go paint other warmer places in the winter, <laughs> which is ironic <laughs> given that I spend a lot of time now trying to get to the Arctic or Antarctic. Um, but uh, throughout all my work there, it was always around um, thinking about how to engage with the world through a sketchbook. And it's part, part of how I've, I've experienced the world. So you 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 go up there, uh, you're, you're doing this exploration, you come back. What's the next thing that you end up pursuing? Like, how did that then lead into this, uh, the path to where you are now? Yeah, well, something I think I learned early on is don't be afraid to ask for what you want. And I went to a really supportive college where I found early that I could go and meet the dean and hang out with my dean and say, hey, you know, I really want to go do this project. I want to go, you know, paint in Joshua Tree or I want to figure out how to get up to Alaska. And are there some grants available? You know, what can I apply for? And early on, they they helped direct me towards some little pots of funding to apply for. And they also told me about this amazing fellowship called the Watson Fellowship. And I applied for one and received one, which was an amazing opportunity. The, the Thomas J. Watson Fellowship is available to students from 50 colleges in the United States and was founded by uh, Thomas J. Watson, the founder of IBM Computers. And the fellowship 
It gives these students the opportunity to go follow their dream for a year. It's an independent project, non-academic affiliated. And the, the main rule is you, you can't go home for a year, or if you're a foreign student, you can't go back to your home country. And it gave me the opportunity to go explore remote regions through art. And I wanted to go to various remote regions. And it took me from French Polynesia. I started in the Marquesas Islands, had a stop in Japan to visit my brush maker, um, then to Tibet and cultural Tibet in China, uh, Mali, West Africa, where I'd studied French in college as well and, and um, other languages, where I spent time in the desert between Bamako and Timbuktu with uh, Tuareg, um, sort of traditional nomads. And then I went up to Greenland, um, which was a big, big transition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. And up in Greenland, I had chances to... Um, accompany teams who were drilling for diamonds, diamond hunters from Canada, uh, and also visit the U.S. Research Station Summit Camp up in the middle of the Greenland Ice Sheet. And I had a residency for seven weeks and with a museum up on the northwest Greenland coast, which was a really remarkable opportunity and a little bit of a grounding experience after doing so much travel to have my own little house for a number of time, you know, weeks and to watch the transition of the spring thaw of ice. So was this all within one year or was this multiple experiences? It was about 12 and a half months, 13 months, I think. Yeah. How do you pack for that? Um, I have to credit my mother for helping me with the transition from the desert to Greenland. And then a good friend of mine, Kristen Lydra, a biologist, um, brought a duffel of gear for me to Copenhagen. Jeez, I always thought I packed too much going camping for a weekend. <laughs> I couldn't think of going from, from Africa to, uh, to Greenland in the same trip. So You mentioned so many countries and areas there. What are a couple that really struck you in, in either the flora, the fauna, the people? What are a couple of stories there that maybe inspired you, especially in, in the creation process? Um, can you talk to that a little bit? You know, I think there was there was so much that that stood out on that trip and a lot of it too was learning how to travel and have my practice because <clears throat> art was really my my job and my purpose of that trip and waking up and having having a project gave me gave me purpose of of doing doing my sketching i really enjoyed seeing uh the art both my art and the art of people i met reflected like the landscape reflected in their work from the desert and the complementary colors to the, the details of carvings in French Polynesia. My time in West Africa in Mali, you know, I, I got to learn to ride camels and sketched camels and had some re really wonderful encounters with musicians. But really what stood out the most for me was Greenland. It felt um, like it was this capstone for me of what I'd been working towards. And the, the landscape resonated with me in ways that, that none of the other places did. I remember going up in Lulisset to see uh, the glacier there that is one of the heritage sites, UNESCO heritage site, and just feeling overwhelmed with emotion sitting and looking at the ice-filled fjord um, and, and hearing the, the calving of the glaciers and thinking about uh, the sense of geologic time and my own experiences and what it had taken to get me to that point was really moving. Um, then, then in Greenland also, it was fun. Um, you know, getting helicopter rides. I got accidentally, not accidentally, I was abandoned at a uh, diamond hunter's camp for a night unexpectedly. So I woke up from a nap and found a note saying, you know, Maria, we decided not to leave a night shift for our drilling. I didn't have space in the helicopter. So we'll be back tomorrow, weather permitting. <laughs> so that was a big surprise. 
Right. It's different than missing the bus or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I thought, gee, how did I get myself out in the middle of the Greenland mountains all by myself here at a camp? And then I went and did something ridiculous, which was we had a generator and there was a cook tent. And I thought, what am I going to make for dinner? And I, I hadn't grown up with a microwave, but with the microwave and generator, I put an egg in the microwave and I exploded it. So Mike, there I am in the middle of the mountains in Greenland, cleaning an egg out of a microwave. It was quite surreal. <laughs> um, <laughs> Not many people have that story. <laughs> and then um, coming home from Greenland, the um, U.S. Air Force was incredibly generous with me and they gave me a free flight on um, their military C-130 aircraft from Greenland to New York. And at that point, I was out of money and... <laughs> But it was a real fun way to come home, and I, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful to them for, for their support. That's really cool. Uh, that would be uh, that, that would be wild. I mean, just to visit Greenland, uh, I remember we, a few years ago we went to Newfoundland and went to the Northern Point, uh, Lanso Meadows, where uh, Leif Erikson landed. Mm -hmm. And it is a completely different world. And I was just, I really want to go back mm -hmm. uh, to Newfoundland more so more as an artist than I've ever, ever was before. I was just dabbling into it when we went and I want to go back and kind of take it seriously. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. I, your, your comments about the different areas, I started thinking if I was packing my art kit or my art toolkit, um, are you thinking maybe you weren't doing it when you went into it, but did you end up kind of going from your African palette choice of colors to your Greenland choice of colors did you end up changing your palette did you were you aware of that when you went in thinking I've got to limit my colors or I'm going to be here and did you end up changing things up a little bit you know that's so funny because I actually don't really remember <laughs> when I look back at my sketchbooks I can see the landscape reflected and see the shifts so from the greens of Polynesia to the desert you know complementary colors of of Tibet and um and Mali and then the the icy blues of Greenland and I had a limited palette of watercolors, you know, 14 or so that I, that I carried. And okay. um, I think certain tubes just got squeezed out more and I, I had a bunch and I, you know, I, I did have a few spots where I was able to, to write my mom to send me some things or stop at art stores. So I wasn't completely off the grid for the whole, the whole year. And <laughs> I think I went through two backpacks and kind of figuring out what, you know, was durable enough and definitely bought um, some extra long underwear when I went up to Greenland <laughs> to stay warm and had, had my snow boots. <laughs> and are you, when you were doing this trip, were you producing this artwork in the field or were you taking photos and coming back into kind of a protected environment? What was your experience like that? Yeah. So the trip was really 99% just field sketching. And when I got to Greenland, I had a little more of a studio space to you know, go out and sit sometimes. And when the weather got bad, I would, I would bring photos in on my little old school digital camera and, and use it for some inspiration. Um, but did a lot of sketching. And uh, the other thing I had in Greenland was at the end of my residency, I had a show at the museum there, which was really satisfying to hang up a whole series of artwork. In particular, I, I can't remember how many I did more than a dozen of really consistent paintings in the same format of the the whole shifting in the landscape with the ice and a few of the other regions I'd been. And that, that was really satisfying. And it gave me the first opportunity to really do a, a bit of a series of work on my own and, and appreciate kind of the investigation, like the satisfaction of, of sort of sitting with a subject and, you know, sort of painting it over and over, but each time a bit differently. Um, and, and, helped me, I think really kind of own the feeling of being an artist in a way that I might not have before. Do you have any regrets um, 
with that? Is there areas that you would have liked to have been to or areas that you would have liked to have spent more time in or? Yeah, you know, I think the one thing I learned early on on that particular project is, and that, that whole year is I wish I hadn't bought a ticket to leave the Marquesas Islands because starting off early in my trip, you know, I had things more planned. So I only had six weeks there and in other places I just spent months and it was uh, much more fun to sort of follow the threads of inspiration. And I think it's true when you hear, you know, you either have time or money. And at that time of my life, I had a lot of time, not very much money, but a lot of time, which meant I could be really open to different opportunities. And for example, um, kind of embrace the serendipity that comes as you sort of follow threads. And uh, I found out about the residency to Greenland in Greenland when I was on the airplane to Greenland and the, the fellow on the seat next to me had been up there with his wife and said, you should apply. And I immediately applied and, you know, heard back <laughs> the next day, said, come on up. <laughs> <laughs> so it's nice when things like that align. And so um, fantastic. Um, I think there's there's times in my life when I've learned it's nice to have your plans all well laid and then it's nice to um, to leave them a bit more open. And uh, yeah, a couple other lessons from that time too. You know, I learned a lot on it. And so I don't think I so much have regrets, but I remember just the ways that I could wrap my, get into my head if I was tired. And one day I thought I'd lost some plane tickets. And when I found them in my own things, I sort of thought, gee, don't make any decisions until you're like rested and fed. (laughs) (laughs) And another thing I always think about is like, never pass up a chance to like, sit down or fill up your water bottle or take a nap, like <laughs> just the things to embrace. Yes, I 100% agree. I am <laughs> I am useless to everyone on an empty stomach. So <laughs> my family knows that. <laughs> I, I wanted to explore maybe a little bit about even the difference in creating. Um, you know, my, my first question, and then I'll have a, a connected question here is, if you're going to Greenland and you're creating and it gets really cold how do you manage the watercolors but then I started thinking with the difference in elevation and the humidity that you were in as well that may have an impact on the paper and the absorption of water were you mindful of that do you remember that experience I mean you've been in colder places recently as well so can you talk about maybe managing that and and I'm really curious because I live in Ottawa we get really cold here in the winter I'd love to do some stuff outside more so Maybe you can speak to just the environment having an impact in being outside and, and, and doing your work. Yeah, yeah. It can be challenging to paint in the cold. And a few of my various little tricks or just ways that I've adapted to it are, um, one, having some some mittens that I'm comfortable sketching in. Like I've got one where, you know, you could pull the little mitten over your fingers, but leave out okay. like a forefinger and thumb. So I've got like a little manual dexterity. I also have some very soft mittens um, that are supple enough to hold a pen. Um, Add vodka to my water, or or you can use rubbing alcohol or gin, something clear. Um, Mm. So to my water brushes, I'll often do like 50-50 to help lower the the freezing temperature of the the water in my paints. Uh, With paper, you know, I love in my studio using 140-pound arches paper uh, for painting on, and sometimes that paper just can dry so slowly. And I remember in Greenland sometimes using hot press, or I've sometimes sketch on a lighter weight paper that'll just dry more quickly. One toned paper, I really enjoy um, sketching on like a light brown kind of sand paper, cream colored paper, um, or sometimes other colors like blue. So then I can add on gouache for some brights, and I'll use um, Canson Mitiente paper. Okay. Or mitents, they come in, in a whole various um, uh, variety of colors. 
And the other thing I'll do is just take a lot of notes. So I've been in, in conditions where um, I'll do a full pencil sketch and then from that pencil sketch, it's, it's something where I may in my studio then transfer the sketch to another piece of paper and then paint it, where then if it was just too cold to paint or if I also didn't have time to paint. And I, I've got some examples of that on my blog I can share with you. So I find then doing the full pencil sketch feels really based, really reflects the, the place and my experience and then having my color studies where studying, you know, the mixes and experimenting with them. And then I, I can come back indoors where it's a little more comfortable and things dry more predictably and, and paint it. I also, oh, there was one more little thing I was going to mention. Um, oh, oh, early on in Greenland, I, I found on my sketches that I needed to be careful and consistent with what shorthand of notes to use. Because I remember one, one sketch, I thought, oh, wait a minute, I'm using a little S, but that S is, is it sun, shadow, or snow? <laughs> so it helps to be specific if you are making notes on your sketches that you can actually um, use them later. Nice. So creating that legend earlier, maybe. <laughs> maybe mm -hmm. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> That's cool. So I, you mentioned a lot of materials there, uh, the arches. Uh, paper and the various types of paper. I'm going to take this opportunity to remind a listener that I take wonderful show notes <laughs> or put them together afterwards. And I will link to all of these materials. So if you're listening to this and you're like, I didn't hear that before, like I've not heard about that paper, that pen or that uh, paint, please check out the show notes. You can find them on the website. And if your uh, podcast app supports it, they'll be there as well. And I'll, I link out to everything so that you have a running start at trying to gather these materials if you feel that uh, it's something you're interested in playing with. So I wanted to just take that opportunity to plug things in. So you describe yourself as an expeditionary artist. Maybe explain what that is, because we've talked about it, but I, I want to understand kind of you know, maybe it seems obvious, but I wonder if we could just talk about that a little bit. And because it seems like a really hard job to get, right? <laughs> so because um, before I met you, I didn't know what that was. And obviously, it makes sense that you're an artist who travels on expeditions. But what is, are you doing this because you're generating a body of work to bring some attention to a part of the world for environmental reasons? Are you doing it to support science? Are you doing it as a way to document, I mean, through supporting science, are you documenting it that way? So, because I've had artists on here that talk that are sci art or illustrators that work in that space. So I'm just trying to understand as an expeditionary artist, how would you describe that? <laughs> well, first of all, I, I just encourage people to make up their own job title. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Um, <laughs> and uh, I was inspired by artists I'd read about on expeditions. Um, one in particular, Edward Wilson, who went down on um, Antarctic voyages with Robert Falcon Scott, um, the Terra Nova and Discovery, where unfortunately he died in, I think, 1908 when they were having an ill-fated attempt to reach the South Pole. But Edward Wilson was really cool because he was on board as an artist, as a scientist, he was an ornithologist, and also as a doctor. So we've got someone who's you know, generally capable and has a sense of humor and um, all these different sort of skills together. And uh, that's where I learned a little trick about the, the adding alcohol to, to your paints, too. And, of course, the tradition of, of natural history, too, which I think is really wonderful of going out and, and drawing the world as a way to, to understand it and thinking about um, before photography was, was quite so mainstream. 
And for me as an expeditionary artist, it's a chance to bring together art, science, and education. And my passion really is when I can go and accompany scientists and work directly with them to use my art and projects as a means for outreach and education. So every, every scientist usually has some part of their work, the, the mission for, for outreach to, to share it. And um, as an artist, I really appreciate uh, the opportunity of bringing science into a non-traditional science context and then vice versa with art. If I can bring art into a science museum or science into an art museum, I think that's really exciting. And to use art as a hook to, to share these stories and, and share interests. And then, you know, the scientists I've worked with work in these just fascinating remote regions and study things that are just incredibly cool. And I I think it's it's a neat a neat opportunity for them to get to see their subject through a different lens through through my art too and they've been really open to to doing collaborations which I've really appreciated um, that opportunity um, so that that's been really my passion is that direct artist and scientist project I've also had opportunities with with residencies such as on expedition tourships to Antarctica and most recently I had a creative residency up in Norway that was um, on an Arctic island called Arnoia. It was the inaugural residency for this, this Singla um, traditional homestead that's, that's now converted to a residency that was, that was really wonderful. But uh, um, so kind of coming back to your question, you know, it's, it's the storytelling and the sharing. And then I think um, that using art as a hook to, to engage people with places that might not be as, as much on their radar. Some people may say, well, just bring a camera, right? And you can document everything that way. Maybe you can speak to the creative, the artistic process using, and not to say that photography is an art, but rather using traditional watercolor and paper to document something and the value in that versus just taking photos. Yeah, you know, when you've got a painting or a sketch, it's really filtered through a human eye and that human touch. And I first encountered this on a personal level when I went to an exhibit in Seattle of Thomas Moran. And Thomas Moran... Um, helped inspire the creation of the, the national park system in America. And he would go out and paint. And I got to see at the exhibit his really gestural, wonderful field sketches done on toned paper, such as that Canson Me tint sort of toned browns and blues and grays and using gouache and watercolor. And it felt really immediate. And it was just like I was looking over his shoulder. And then, you know, he'd go back to his studio and create these massive 12 foot wide, you know, oil paintings, um, some of which hang in, in Congress today, which are momentous in their own right. But there's an immediacy to the watercolor that I love. And I think we're, we're pretty saturated right now in photography and in media. And I, I think, and I'd like to think it has value that some of our art and watercolors and um, this other medium is a little bit of a pause in getting to see something that's been filtered and distilled. As an artist, we just can't sketch everything in the field. We can't sketch every detail, um, but we do try and find things. I try and find things that resonate the elements and quality of the light and um, um, the, the little details that interest me and in parts of the story. And I think that can make an impact and, you know, also cameras may not necessarily capture what we see or feel. I often find that I believe my color notes may reflect the light that I experienced more so than a picture I may have on my phone or print out on my printer for photo reference. So when I do work from photos in my studio for inspiration, I'll often make them black and white. So I just get the values and then can try and stay true to my field experience. Wow, you've. Uh, I was writing a bunch of notes here because I had a bunch of things going on in my head. Just because you've you've triggered so many elements there, I agree that 
when you're creating this artwork, in some ways, your interpretation of it is directing, like you are an art director in the sense that you're directing the view for the for the user, the consumer of your art, to be able to look at certain areas differently, and rather than replicate. You know, if if we both look at a photo, it's like okay, we're looking at a photo, which isn't bad, but if if I draw or paint that, then I'm going to be highlighting stuff that I felt was important to me or that mm-hmm. I saw how I saw things, yeah. and being able to consume that is important, and. The other thing I started thinking about is, you know, as you were talking about, you know, photography becoming more common and obviously social media is changing and now you can do wild effects just on your phone with photos you've taken. And now you have AI generating work based on a few words. I do think there's huge value now in the raw experience of creation that creating with watercolor, uh, with oils, it, it doesn't really matter, but that kind of raw experience of creation, I think is going to be even more valuable now as more people rely on digital, that being able to say this one was created through somebody's eyes and through somebody's hands versus something that has value, but is different. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think this is an, just a fantastic time to be an artist, whether you're digital or whether you're analog, this opportunity to tell stories, I think is... Um, is is important and i'm so glad that you mentioned the idea of storytelling because that's yeah that's, that's really what it's about right yeah it's a way of directing attention you know you're, you're trying to direct attention to what you experienced and then a sketchbook and the art of you know that that act of creating is giving me a chance to experience what i feel is often deeper than um snapping a photo. I mean, I have immense respect for photographers and people who also go to um, great lengths to get really wonderful images. But I, Mm -hmm. I find that I remember a place or a subject much more vividly after I've sketched or painted it. And it comes back to something that I take really to my core is that idea of art as a tool. And it's a tool for exploration, observation, scientific inquiry, meditation, connection, bridging language barriers, it just the list goes on. And um, it's not necessarily the end result, but it's the act of experiencing. And are you flipping through your sketchbooks and looking at this piece and going, oh, it was so cold. Oh, my socks were <laughs> worn out that day. Oh, I remember they were curing meat and I had that smell around me. Like, do you, is, is that kind of your experience when you flip through some of this work that you've done in the past? Sometimes. I also, something I do enjoy doing um, is uh, recording audio as well. And I'll do some little time lapses and cameras, but um, in presentations, I've enjoyed pairing audio with some of my paintings to help bring that that sense of place. But yeah, oh, certainly. <laughs> <laughs> some of those uncomfortable moments come back. I was up in Northwest Greenland working with a walrus biologist, I think in 2010. And being this landscape person that I am, I gravitate towards them. I, I, I had some time and I, I love panoramas, and I got it in my head that I was going to do a 360-degree panorama, and each panel was 30 inches, you know, full sheet watercolor sheet wide, and it turned wow. into seven panels, and I, I took about three days of just diligent work getting every little mountain peak, and yeah, I look back at those, and I go, wow, I... <laughs> That was a a pretty cold, little windy spot to dive in for (laughs) that degree of detail. (laughs) Usually I work on a much more quick scale. (laughs) (laughs) And you were mentioning your inspiration, and I I think I had read somewhere that one of them was uh, Emily Carr as well, right? Oh, I think think her story is so cool, and she was so intrepid, and I I really have a lot of admiration for her and her camper and her um, approach. She just strikes me as so passionate and gung-ho and intrepid and brave, and um, I, I love her work. 
Yeah, I've I've seen so much of her work, and I I didn't expect it, but I went to the National Art Gallery here in Ottawa, and they had an impressionist kind of Canadian impressionist, and there was a bunch of work by Emily Carr, and I I hadn't realized that connection. I'm not a big art art history person, but to see some of her work inspired by her time. Um, doing some of that was just incredible. I mean, I, I I love her work, and I love that you are inspired by that because, yeah, she was incredible. I'm going to have to link out to a few items on her because I think she's uh, she was uh, just an incredible artist. Yeah, agreed. Well worth learning more of her story. Exactly. You mentioned Greenland twice. How many times have you been there? Um, I think I've been to Greenland. Yeah, I've been to Greenland three times. Wow. Is it your go-to place now? Are you feeling comfortable there? Is that, or is it just familiar? So what is it about Greenland that keeps kind of pulling you back there? Well, I, what you just pose is a little bit of a complicated question. And I'll say that <laughs> I'm, I'm really fascinated by Greenland and, um, and the, really the, the culture there and the landscape. And I think it's remarkable. And I, I've been fortunate enough to, to do a number of trips down to Antarctica as well. I think I've crossed the Drake Passage four times now. And it's, you know, a sublime, immense landscape and, and incredibly moving. But Greenland has the people and um, who are living there. And I, I've had the good fortune to know a number of scientists. Um, and one in particular, Kristen Lydra, who I mentioned earlier, uh, she first inspired me to visit Greenland. And Kristen, I, uh, we finally, after years of, of sort of scheming project ideas, um, put together a project for me to go and work with her for a month and to accompany her on narwhal research primarily. And then I, I got to go out on a couple of flights where she also researches polar bears. And so that meant going out and tagging polar bears. And that was really wow. kind of a, a standout highlight of, of the field work I've done. And she's just an incredibly inspiring um, researcher and was initially trained early on in, in her life. She was a ballerina before becoming a biologist. And so she has a wonderful art science appreciation and bent as well. And Kristen actually has a, a quote that I like. She said, there's parallels between art and science, how both perceive and interpret the world using creativity to inspire and inform others. And we put together a really wonderful project called Imaging the Arctic um, based on the work we did together and including presentations from Alaska to Portland and Seattle and, uh, and an exhibition. And, um, and she also connected me to my Northwest Greenland project, or excuse me, Northeast Greenland project. My walrus um, project was in Northeast Greenland. And I, I've had the opportunity to do a, a couple projects in the, the Alaskan Arctic. And um, I've been really drawn to the, the Arctic landscape, the quality of light, and then the, the cultural element. But I want to say, Mike, you know, since the pandemic too, and um, and climate change, and just the world we're living in, I've been really embracing, you know, the idea of micro adventures, and also getting to know our home. And I think that's just something we may have all done to a much bigger degree. You don't need to travel halfway around the world to have an expedition, and that that's something I think a lot about um, personally, and then as a parent, and then as someone wanting to inspire others of of how can you go out and see your own neighborhood and your own region from a different perspective and see it more deeply. You bring up, like, when you said that, that we have an opportunity to explore what's around us, I built, we live in a small two-acre lot, there's some woods, and I built a new trail through the woods, and I have that I finished it last weekend. So I'm walking past trees I've not walked beside, and I'm seeing these mushrooms I've not seen before, and it, <laughs> I just think I'm it feels brand new and it's been there for 20 years. We've been here for 20 years and I've never seen it before. And so you bring up a good point that some of that kind of expedition mindset is just around the corner from us. And, um, 
you know, maybe connecting with the right people or asking a question about something or being open to explore something. We don't have to go to, to Greenland or to the Antarctic to see that. Absolutely. And that's wonderful. You're getting to see new new little nooks and crannies <laughs> of your property. <laughs> exactly. I feel inspired now to try other things or, or look in other areas because, you know, even even the paths we walk best, you know, we, we see something, we see the front of it, we don't see the back. And, you know, you, you want to stay on the trails and, and that kind of thing, but it's the opportunity to be able to, to kind of get a different view on things or taking a, a path that you normally hike in one direction, going the other way around kind of thing. So, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The little ways we can shake ourselves up and see things differently. Exactly. And you mentioned one thing that I just wanted to ask you about, and that is climate change. I mean, you must be been able to, because you've seen some of these areas and you've come back year over year, you must have seen the impact of that and... What is your feeling on that? Is it, maybe if you can just speak to that a little bit, because I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm just curious what what your feeling is on, on if you've seen these changes and um, what it means to, to have done the work you're, you've done and to continue doing the work that you're doing. Yeah, I, it's really poignant. And in some ways, it's for me, um, been seeing some of the things in my region that has impacted me most on a personal level. Um, we live uh, in the Pacific Northwest, Port Townsend, Washington, a, a little town on the um, on Quimper Peninsula. And in this region, we have the North Cascade Mountain Range, which has the highest concentration of ice in the lower 48 states with about 750 glaciers. And of course, you know, vast majority of these are they're receding and things are, are changing year to year, um, such as the Easton Glacier over on, on Mount Baker. And there's a there's a word I remember reading about years ago, and I don't remember who coined it, but I believe it was called solastagia, and it evoked the sense of feeling homesick at, while at home. And I I think it's something that we may all begin or may already be experiencing to a degree as our summers are changing. Or an example here for me in our region is a wildfire smoke is just had a much higher impact than when I remember growing up. And it's changed things we do in our home and what we can do outside when we when we have it. And so so that that's been something I've been been reflecting on um, personally. Do you feel that there's more that we can do as artists in telling the story and and being a and you know being an instrument of change around some of this? I'd really like to think so, Mike, because I think that talking and connecting is really important, especially as we do become polarized or, you know, my own country feels <laughs> fairly polarized. And mm -hmm. and I think that having opportunities to connect in, in genuine ways is valuable. And I like to think about art reflecting, you know, the times we live in, and it's it's something that we care about and um, and has value. As an artist, I truly want to believe that there's value in art and there's value in, in, in the act of creating. And I think it's important for us on a cultural level and then so much on an individual level, too, to, to nourish ourselves and give, give time and space. I agree. I think uh, there's a lot that we can do and there's more that we can do. And we just have to be willing to do it and willing to, um, to invest the time and, and be able to spend time with others as well. I agree with the expedition bit and, you know... The idea that, I don't know, if, if you're a listener and, and you end up in Ottawa, just let me know. I'll take in a little expedition. <laughs> we can go create together. <laughs> and, you know, I think maybe that's the opportunity we have, especially for many of us are connecting through social media, is reaching out to somebody in that city that you're going to for a conference and spend a day of that just exploring with your sketchbook, right? And getting out there and, and seeing what there is available. I get um, to know it from a different perspective. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Now, you mentioned that 
you tend to focus on landscapes. Are, are you still doing that? Is that w- w- what attracts you to regions? Are you doing any botanical work? Are you doing animals? Like, what is your interest? What is your focus when you hit a when you get off a plane? You think I'm gonna I'm gonna draw or paint this. I'm such a landscape person. I just love like the great big picture and the great big skies. You know, when I'm out on a project, I'll I'll just try and sketch all the time. And I give myself the goal of quantity over quality. I say, okay, I'm in the field. I'm on a trip. I'm going to sketch three to five pieces a day. I don't care what they look like. I don't care what media they're in, but I'm pulling out my sketchbook, right? Because sometimes it feels hard to how, how am I going to get started? And I just say, practice, not perfection. I'm going to do this. And so I'll do gestures of people. And I've been trying to practice um, buildings more and working on my perspective. Um, uh, But really my my, like happy place where I'm just like, ah, is um, these like atmospheric landscapes. And um, most recently in Norway, I just had a terrific time um, looking out at the sea and seeing the the changing light and the beautiful polar light with the low angle sun um, and the fog rolling in and out. And we had a terrific rainstorm and windstorm. And that really like gets me excited, but I'll, I'll take, I'll take anything else too. <laughs> <laughs> and when you're out creating, and maybe we can reference even that, that trip in Norway, cause you do a, a wonderful, um, blog post on it and your blog is incredible. We're going to link to that cause that is just so fun to flip <laughs> through. Uh, what's, what's your normal kind of procedure? in creating a landscape, you know, down to the tools. Are, are you are you sketching it in pencil? Do you sketch in ink? Do you just go straight to the watercolor? How, what's your thought process in, in kind of, because you've done so much of this and you've done it out in the field. I'd be curious to understand how, how you kind of go about creating one. Yeah, well, I think a bit, a bit like handwriting, we might have different, you know, fonts. Like I've got my like block print I use. I've got my scrawl, like cursive Maria, that's fairly illegible, but may look artistic, <laughs> right? We've got some different approaches. And so it depends how I'm feeling as I have, you know, several types of paper I use and um, a couple. So I've got, it's got sort of two, prim- I'd say three primary styles. Like one, I've got my little sketchbook and that's a place to just mess around. I might end up with kind of little cartoons dividing, you know, say using kind of a moleskin size little like pocket sketchbook and I kind of document my little day through little cartoons or just have notes and and sort of small thumbnail sketches. Then I love ink, watercolor and gouache. And I really enjoy doing that on the toned paper I mentioned earlier. So there's two styles of toned, the me tints I mentioned, and then also an arches cover. And Arches cover is, I think it's more of a printmaking paper. It has less sizing than a traditional watercolor paper. So it's really soft. And the cover comes in a beautiful cream, kind of sand, um, beige-ish tone. And I love doing my little scritchy scratchy pens. I love waterproof sort of very fine pens. And I, I have an artist friend who hates the sound of scritchy scratchy pens and uses brush <laughs> pens, but I, I love them. I could just like play with my little pen work, um, various fountain pens or, you know, a little like fine point Sharpie sort of thing for a long time. And sometimes if it feels a little trickier, I'll do a little pencil first and then I'll go over my pen or I'll usually dive straight in with pen because, you know, little stray marks don't bother me. And then I'll add watercolor. So I like to think about the ink as the bones and then the watercolor brings it to life with that approach. And then if I'm doing a little more of a a watercolor, I might tape my paper down because isn't it just satisfying to have that like white tape around a little watercolor painting when you take the tape off and, and, you know, lightly sketch in my subject. And when I work on a more, I'll say traditional, you know, layered watercolor, I do like 
that, that, that I'll take a little more time on it. Um, that may take more of a half an hour, you know, hour versus, well, I guess it all, all depends. You know, there's sort of like the three minute style versus the 20 minute to 30 minute versus the hour. And it all depends how much time there is. <laughs> and are you using the same palette? Like, are you still working with, you mentioned 14 colors before 14 or 16. Are you still doing that? Have you re- reduced it? Do you change it up? Um, what's your palette look like? Oh, Mike, I don't get tired of obsessing over colors. Isn't that funny? I mean, color is so like seductive. It's like, as an artist, it's so hard not to think, I just had that one color. Oh, it would be amazing. Well, yeah, you just keep practicing. So every time I go out, I I have my, my sort of core colors. And then it's really fun. I enjoy imagining the palette of place. I love this idea that each region has sort of its own palette or each season and bringing some new ones to play with. Um, so going up to Norway this summer, I really enjoyed my core colors. And then I also found some new sort of colors that really reflected the landscape. And I love limited palettes too. So in my studio, then I'll use the same, you know, five or six core colors often in a series to, to really stay true to each other. Well, I'm glad you said that because I collect a lot of colors and I was so excited because <laughs> uh, I, I added, I think, three more to my uh, to my ARC toolkit, which we'll talk about next. And uh, I found this rose of ultramarine and I'm thinking I've got to use this somewhere somehow. And I finally have a use for it. And, uh, so <laughs> I feel like, yes, it's a beautiful color and now I have a place to put it. So um, oh, there's so much here. play in color. It's yeah. just yeah, yeah. No need to deny ourselves that, right? right. This is all about having fun too. <laughs> well, it's it's funny too because then you get to a point when you've got your palette and you can see the you know three or four ink wells that are empty and you know that all the other ones are there. But you know, obviously, I'm not using them all. I'm using all these other ones in between. But it's just nice to have access to them. Yep, yep. <laughs> and so I wanted to lead into our toolkit, which is a, a company. I would even say a mindset, but <laughs> it's a wonderful company that that you were you're behind that is a really exciting way to build a palette. And not only that, there's a lot of supporting material. So maybe you can talk through how our toolkit started and maybe kind of what your focus is and where you are now and maybe where I'm, I'm asking a bunch of questions here at once, but um, maybe let's start with why did you create our toolkit? <laughs> So uh, yeah, this Northeast Greenland trip I did in 2010, I really um, found, you know, every time I go in the field, it's like, what supplies to bring? And I found on that trip in the field, I really was wishing that everything was more compact as I'm crawling around in the sand, spying on walruses and, you know, staying warm and tracking all the gear. And it really made me consider how could I make an all in one like field sketch kit And that's where the idea for the pocket palette came, which was initially a modified business card tin. So very small. And I found some little pans and filled them with paint. And I thought, wow, this is so slim, not the traditional bulkier watercolor plastic half pans, but, you know, just uh, a fraction of the, the width that it could fit inside my zipper pouch with my pens and my sketchbook. And you know, being an artist, I was out at events and posting on my website and sharing it and people people were interested and I thought, well, I'll start making some to share. And um, being the, the person I am, I can't stop fiddling with things and wanting to, to keep developing them. And so I'd say that over about the next seven years, I kept slowly tweaking the designs and playing with them and customizing tins 
um, and building them in my studio and shipping them out as a sort of a part-time job. As you know, I think as an artist too, there's all these different ways to be an artist and help pay your expenses, which we all need to do too. And um, the art toolkit was turning into a, a really neat way to want to share and uh, art with other people and um, and be, be a really fun side business for me. And so at the core of Art Toolkit is this idea of art as a tool, not a talent. It's that tool I've talked about earlier of going out, of exploring, of having fun. And, and I don't just want to do that for myself. I want to share it with other people, give them tools and feel inspired and empowered to go out and paint. And so uh, after having my daughter and um, it slowly sort of grew to more than I could just do as a solo person. And so it, it really, we're talking like family business here, Mike, my husband would come in and help me with the website and shipping. And then my mother-in-law was doing all our assembly and shipping. And then they, they still are both both neck deep in the business. And um, now we have a small team and a shop space in Port Townsend. So we assemble it, um, all our supplies and offer at our core, three different sizes of palettes. So these are these little tiny um, watercolor tins. And how many pan sizes do we have now? I, I think there's the mini pan, standard pan, double pan, large pan and an XL pan. We have five pan sizes that can be mixed and matched and they're stainless steel and on a, a magnetic base. So anyone can customize their palette to just the layout they want. And um, a, a few years ago, I posed the question on my blog. I, I, I was curious how many variations um, of setups there were for the palettes. And, and I thought, oh, it'll be a few thousand or something. And, and two people wrote computer programs and told me it was that the, the result was over like 40 million. And that was when we only had four pan sizes. Um, so, I mean, we're really talking like endless possibilities for how you can arrange your palettes. So that, that's a little bit of background <laughs> of the art toolkit. But I, I get so much joy out of it. It's born out of a, a true passion and desire to, to help people get out and use quality tools, but the tools that they can keep with them and that idea of truly being able to sketch anywhere, anytime. And um, we try and put out a lot of materials to support folks from free demos and um, a weekly newsletter filled with inspiration and um, our Instagram as well with, with little techniques and such. So um, yeah, <laughs> and I love that you've got some palettes you've been enjoying too. <laughs> yeah, it's it's probably the question I get the most when I post any one of my sketches or any one of my paintings. Uh, if I've got that in the background, people are like, hey, what's that? <laughs> I want that thing. <laughs> and uh, I love it. it. For me, it's been the perfect size for my A6 uh, sketchbook, uh, which mm -hmm. I carry. Well, you know, it's the one I carry on the most. And mm -hmm. I've got A5 and A4 as well. But I can just slide it into the elastic and it just stays with it. I love the idea that it's modular as well so that I could have, you know, two or three or four gouache and the rest are transparent watercolor. And I can mm -hmm. change those out if needed. I didn't see until recently that you had put labels under the pans. I was writing it in marker and I thought, well, maybe labels is smarter. <laughs> so I have a legend in my Apple notes of all the paint, <laughs> uh, the paints that I have as a matter of numbers. And uh, it just makes it easier. Now when it went empty I flip it over and it's like, oh, that's a sap green. Okay. That's not a hooker green. I got to, so I, it's, it's really helpful for me to be able to refill the pans that way, but it's been so good. And I was worried about staining on the white, and then you talk about using the magic eraser, which completely transformed them. I mean, some people would say you should never clean your watercolor palettes anyways, but um, I do after I'm going from, let's say, a frog to some kind of wild cat, I'm going to clean them because they're, 
<laughs> they're not related in colors. But, but it is incredible. And I would suggest that if you are interested in kind of a fun palette that you can pack with you, and this is the same palette I use at my desk, and I'm just completely sold on this. It's a wonderful company oh. to to buy from. And I, when I went to your, and I found your website, I looked at the, the, the palettes, the pocket palettes and all the pans, but then you sell the other accessories as well. And then I saw Rosemary and Co. brushes and all these other tools that I already had. And it's like, these are my people. Like, I just... <laughs> I'm home. Uh, so I, I, hats off. It's been wonderful working with these tools. And uh, I'm, I'm just so impressed. Like, is there, wh where are you going to take this? Um, uh, well, I'd first, I just want to say thank you for all your kind words and, and enthusiasm. It means so much. And um, I'll tell you what, I'll, um, we'll put together a, a little coupon code that we can share in the show notes for um, your your listeners. And um, they would appreciate yeah, that. You know, we we're you're asking a great question. We're coming out of what's been a real intense, you know, couple of years of sort of head down um, with the pandemic. And uh, right now is a really fun period where we're getting our bearings and thinking about um, what do we want to make? What do we want to create? I mean, that's one of my favorite questions. Like, what do you want to create? And so thinking about new designs and we love collaborating, finding um, artists to work with or paint makers. And so we're exploring um, some ideas there. And we always welcome artist feedback. Um, I mean, you mentioned like rosemary brushes and our other accessories and like, these are all my favorite things. And we love sharing other people's favorite things too, you know, that are useful, you know, whether you're, you're traveling abroad or in your studio and wanting to keep things nice and compact and, um, and high quality. Um, so I'd say stay, stay tuned for some updates because we're, we're in the midst of, of planning. We, um, we did just recently open up and have some spaces and some workshops that um, we enjoy. And uh, as I mentioned, our newsletter is a really wonderful place to hear about um, all of our projects and specials first. It's awesome. I feel like I would hope that at some point I could come back to you and say, hey, I want to do something special. <laughs> and I would ha have enough followers to be able to, to justify <laughs> that. But uh, I have some ideas in the future. What's, what's fun about your palette, too, is that, you know, with a simple um, alligator clip, you can just clip it to the opposite side of the sketchbook. And so oh, it's yeah. an easy way to kind of contain it. It's it's a wonderful experience for me. I, I don't feel like it's it's a lot to carry. And I've used all of them. And I think they all have tremendous value. Like, you still have to think about your water with this. But um, that's not a hard problem to solve. So uh, I really, uh, yeah, this is, this is so and, much fun. Do you fun. have one of our cute collapsible cups? <laughs> I, I have the traditional... Uh, watercolor cup that does collapse. I don't have the little cute one though, so I think my next order is going to be <laughs> it's going to be that. I have a lot of people sending me cute little things. I think I have a reputation now of <laughs> loving the cute, cute small, which which fair enough. <laughs> so, what do you use when you're out now? What size and, and how many um, are you using? The larger version? Yeah. Do you have? Um, well, it's funny enough sitting right here. I um. I, I, I go back and forth. So my daily carry is usually our smaller version, the pocket art toolkit, which is more of that A6 size. And um, I like that because it's not as heavy 
and I can still squeeze in extra things just to always keep in my bag. And being a parent, I usually always have at least an extra watercolor palette, an extra water brush, and a few extra loose leaf um, sheets of paper. And let me let me just open up my art toolkit here. Um, this, I, I haven't really moved out of my Norway one yet because this was all packed up nicely. Um, so I have a whole array of rosemary brushes I've been playing with because they're they're just so much fun. Mm -hmm. um, right now I have a Hanamule watercolor sketchbook um their paper is really beautiful mm -hmm. we've um really been enjoying working uh and some fountain pens i've been testing out and playing with a couple water brushes um a sharpie uh art pen kind of fine pen and uh sometimes fountain pens explode like driving over mountain passes or you know ch big changes in pressure so i'll uh, I often have a, a sort of standard pen and then what else is stuffed in here Oh, a lot of palettes, probably too many palettes. Um, <laughs> my folio, my demi, and uh, my standard, and then some loose leaf paper, and then my favorite towel. You should probably sell these on our website too. I love these blue shop towels. I've yes. been using these for years, since since I started painting, because they're super durable and soft, and you can just like rinse them out if you want to like reuse them. And so you just buy a roll of them at like most hardware stores carry them. Um, so I, I always have a, at least one or two of those floating around in my kit. Um, yeah, so that, that's what's in my current kit. And on my, my latest blog post, I've got a picture of the, the colors in my palette, which I've only changed a little bit since coming home from Norway. I, I definitely missed a few colors, so I had to swap some things around. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. I, I I had other towels I was using, and I, I think it was from you that I that I heard about the you know the the, the shop towel thing. So mm -hmm. it was like that's a good you know because I've tried paper towels and they fall apart on you and and leave you know bits and I but the shop towel you can just use it and then clip it to the outside of your bag as you're walking back and it dries by the time you get to the car like it's it's nothing and yeah, yeah you can just continue reusing it it's fantastic. It's just these small things that tools. <laughs> exactly. It just makes such a difference, right? Yeah. And yeah. I would also like you do sell the water brushes. I use because um, I'm a Pentel ambassador. I use the Pentel ones, but I've used others as well. Yeah. There yeah. is so much you can do with a single aqua brush or um, water brush. You don't have to. I mean, I love the Rosemary and Co. I've got a bunch here, and. Uh, but if you just have a water brush, a lot of the works I've done, I've just done with a water brush just because it's so easy. And the only trick, mm -hmm. and I've mentioned this in a previous podcast, is don't let it get below a third as a matter of volume of water. Because what I find what happens is that when it gets really low, air sneaks in and it causes oh. the flow to increase. So as long as you keep oh, it more than half full, I find I can control the water much more. Oh, what a great tip. I, I haven't um, thought about that. But I do have people who are beginning with them who say they take a little learning. I've used one for so long. Um, and you know, Mike, I really enjoy the Pentel water brushes as well. And it's what we include with our art toolkits because they're oval. They have an oval barrel. And if you're on something like a boat or a steep slope, you just appreciate things that aren't going to roll right. away easily. So I, I really, um, and they hold their tips um, for a long time. And then I carry in my kit a little syringe, no needle, um, so that I can fill my water brush, my Pentel water brush from my water bottle um, without dumping out my water because water can be really precious when you're, say, out on a hike or um, in town where you're, you're, you you need every drop. Oh, and I, I should mention, too, in my, my art toolkit, I always carry a little assortment of clips. I love those little gator binder clips yes. for clipping my palette to my sketchbook or, or whatnot. But yeah, water brushes are, are just fabulous and they're a perfect pair for the pocket palette because you can really keep a minimal kit. Mm -hmm. And um, you've, you know, you're doing that three minute or even 30 minute sketch 
you know, you just don't need much. Yeah, exactly. And I would agree. Like, I've got a larger syringe here I got from a, a, an old chemistry kit. But, mm-hmm. you know, the first thing I went to was um, using some of the the syringes that we used for medications for our, our daughters. And they're just a perfect size. But being able to refill that is much easier than trying to pour a water bottle into the top of a, of, <laughs> yeah. of a water brush. <laughs> a little bit challenging. Uh, and and they do last. I I'm still using my, you know, I use my I have the smaller. Well, I think Pentel comes as three or four, and I use the smallest one most of the time because I'm doing more detailed work. I'm not doing landscapes, and I'm I haven't changed it yet. It's sometimes I'll take nail clippers if I get one of those hairs that kind of go sideways. You just kind of clip mm-hmm. it off and you're fine. But um, they are wonderful. Well, I'll mention on the water brush that if you haven't tried the Niji flat brush, that this one's really fun too. And what I love about it, and um, we can put a link to this in the show notes, is it's got this little extra um, component you can pop off so that you get a really big flat. It's about an inch long. So if you're out in the field and you just want another brush that is like a completely different form from those Pentel points, you get this big area and you can, you know, wet skies and whatnot. So I, I find that often has a spot in my, my bigger kits. Oh, I can think about a couple of pieces I worked on that I would appreciate at that. So. <laughs> oh, art supplies are endless fun. Yes. <laughs> I know. I, I saw a previous guest on the, on the podcast, Captain Tom, who was doing some urban sketching in Rome. Uh, was using your your palette as well, and it's like wow, it just <laughs> it's it's popping up everywhere. So it's, it's wonderful <laughs> to see it in use. Oh, yeah. we love his work too. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's incredible. And uh, I, you know, I just back to that as well. You know, I agree with the. I like the scratchy too. Like I use the, I think probably eighty percent, seventy percent of the time I'm using hot press now. But I love the scratchy kind of micron pens on. Um, on the cold press or hot press. Uh, I love the patent fountain pen. I've got a, a one with a food aid nib, which is wonderful as well. And so all of that is just, um, it's, it's all part of it. It's the smells. It's the, it's the feel. It's, yeah. uh, yeah. Yeah. There's the tactile element and, and for every artist that may be different, you know, one thing that I like my body rejects is like charcoal. I handle charcoal and I break out in goosebumps. It's like, Ooh, yeah. you know, it's, it's like fingernails on a chalkboard. Yeah, exactly. to me. But I, I think it's beautiful and yes. I've seen artists do such remarkable things with it. And, and maybe that's how my scratchy pens make some people feel it, but <laughs> I'll <Right>. embrace them. <laughs> so are you doing any work digitally? Like, do you ever play with procreate or or work on a computer with digital work or are you mostly tactile um well for on the art side um i do i've you know i've got some design um experience also like in putting together books and working in design and the the adobe suite i haven't played a lot with digital art but with my daughter we're starting to play um she put together a really fun set of drawings that we scanned in and painted and put together um a little book of these funny adventures and um i mean that's something we get with our kids it's a chance to to learn new things and she's been really into doing um uh time lapse stop action um, so okay. we've been doing some stop action work. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not sure how much I'll get into, you know, on my creative side, using the computer. I do a lot of that in my art toolkit work where, you know, just time on the computer. And I think I really enjoy the, the tactile experience of holding, you know, the supplies in my hands. And um, I think that's something that, that, that'll stay core to my practice. So I wanted to ask you about 
social media, building your own brand, that kind of thing? Because you've you've done this kind of expeditionary art version of yourself, and now you've been working on art toolkits, so you've kind of got this multiple personality thing that you've got to manage. And <laughs> many of us do this when we're, we may have a full-time job and we're doing art on the side, so we're trying to decide. At some point, I said to myself, my Instagram is art now, it's not what I did with the kids today. Is is it challenging for you? And and I and I wanted to to inject into that that what I think is really special about how you tell your story is that you are still blogging. And I say that because many people have given up blogging with the hope that an Instagram story or reel or something on TikTok tells a story. And I appreciate because I know the effort required to write a blog and and inject the images and layout and what you include and what you don't. Are you finding it more challenging? Do you find you found your groove? Uh, is the blog going to continue? How does that play into your storytelling and your social media? Maybe if you can speak to that whole bit, because as artists, you know, we have to tell our story somehow. And maybe maybe your kind of experience and, and feedback on that would be helpful. Sure, sure. That's a really great question. And, and I'll say it's been a really interesting journey of me for me with Art Toolkit and Expeditionary Art, because over about the past three years, we've been slowly untangling Maria Coriel Martin, the expeditionary artist, and Art Toolkit, the company. Um, because Art Toolkit, what used to be all on my website and my blog was all me. And to have Art Toolkit slowly become its own company, where it's not just me working on it and um, not just my name, finally having its own website and its own Instagram and you know, kind of figuring out the different voices um, where I'm not doing every single post of our art toolkit. We have just a fabulous um, marketing team. We work together on them and they help come up with just fabulous ideas. And I, I'm so appreciative. Um, so that's been a really interesting process. <laughs> and uh, there's been a lot of letting go, a lot of letting go and trust. And and on the exhibitionary art side, I've been blogging, I'd say, I, I can't remember my first post if it was maybe, you know, 2006 or 2008. It's been more than 10 years. And... I really appreciate that that content is something that I own and I really appreciate um, our newsletter also because social media, you know, building your art, I don't want to, brand doesn't necessarily feel like the right word, but um, building your art career, your, your body of work and your audience and sharing your work it's very personal and share and having the opportunity to share stories and share process. And I found that the mailing list has been for us just the most direct connection to people, not necessarily, you know, filtered through a third party social media system. And I think, you know, we do post on Facebook and Instagram, but myself as an artist, the blog has felt to me like one of the most important spaces for me to keep working. And it becomes a foundation for um, additional articles I might write or putting together um, catalogs. The, the catalog I did after my most recent um, science project, um, it's called Witnessing Climate Change, was working with a remarkable scientist <laughs> who's been doing the 50 plus, almost 50 years of consecutive field work on a subject. And, and the articles for the uh, catalog and book all came from my blog and having that, that sort of first chance to digest things and scan, you know, scan art for so I, I still see tremendous value in it and plan to keep blogging. And I'm sort of finding my path as an artist for how much I have bandwidth to engage with my own personal social media art toolkit. I, I'm, I'm on there and chiming in and saying hi to, you know, our wonderful community. And we've got our team as well. 
Um, I have not been paying as much attention to my expeditionary art Instagram um, because frankly, I only have so many hours in the day um, mm -hmm. with my family and my art and my business. And, and I, uh, for me right now, just having my, my blog to put her on and my work and everything else has felt, felt sufficient. But I think when I, when I think about sort of advice to offer people, I think whatever you do is um, consistency whether it's, you know, once a week, but I think the the consistency of creating ways to share with your community can, can become a really great practice and also articulating your work. You know, as an artist, every time I've written a proposal or talked about my process, I may gain insights into actually what I'm working to express or what I want. And so I really am a big believer in process. One of my mantras is just trust in process. And for me, that writing and, and sort of thinking about, you know, narrative and storytelling is, is part of that process and, and, and having consistency there. It sort of comes back to that quantity over quality and practice, not perfection. You just have to put in the time. Yeah. And I, just to go back to what you said about recording audio, around a piece that you worked on, I think is, is valuable. I've had people ask me, you know, should I start a podcast to talk about my art? And I tell them, well, it doesn't work for everyone, but being able to just record your feelings about your art, just getting that voice out there so you can hear it back will help. Mm -hmm. I think that's what makes good teachers is they listen to themselves first before they listen to their students. And if you don't do that, you're going to come off maybe not genuine, maybe, uh, you know, not engaging. I think you, by talking about what you do and how you do it, uh, you become a better teacher and you become a better student. And so I think that um, the blog is a really good way to do that, a newsletter, because you're forming story around this, doing the audio clips. I always recommend people doing that. If you're doing a piece and throughout it, if you just pick up your iPhone and hit the record and just talk about what you've worked on or what you find oh, yeah. frustrating, it's all valuable, right? Oh, yeah. And, you know, I think, too, it's that with that practice, not perfection piece, if you're mm -hmm. putting stuff together for Instagram or for TikTok or for Facebook, it doesn't have to be overly polished, too. And that idea of being consistent and, and genuine and um, and people can enjoy that. And, it, you know, you you may learn learn more about, as you mentioned, you know, gaining insights and, and becoming a better teacher and student throughout, too. Is there some advice you've received from someone that you lean on? that you keep going back to that has meant, uh, meant a lot to you and kind of moving things forward? Or even a scientist, right? <laughs> oh, oh there's, there's almost too many to choose one, but I, I can come up with, I can narrow it down to two. Okay. Okay? Okay. Um, my first grade teacher was just a really remarkable woman named Aki Kurose, and she um, was Japanese and interned with her family in the internment camps and came away from it as a huge believer in peace and love and science and her passion was was education and I was just incredibly lucky to have her as a teacher and she would say that a creative person is is never bored and um, I, I often think about Aki Kurosiaki and um, just that idea of, of having your art accessible and and keeping it keeping it around and noodling and learning and also just that approach to the world of approaching it with an open heart through through love and science and and connecting with people and she came out of just some horrific conditions and instead of filling her heart with anger and hate she 
Um, she embraced love and children, and uh, I'm incredibly grateful. And, and I can share with you some recordings that have been done of Aki talking about her experiences. There's a school in Seattle named after her now, and she's a wow. was a remarkable woman. Another, oh no, now I have two more. <laughs> but um, I had a mentor telling me trust in process, and I, I think about that a lot. Of the around activation energy and that it takes more energy often to get something started than to maintain it. Like I think even a chemical reaction. And so if I have a process to lean on, I can say, okay, I'm going to get out my supplies and I'm going to do a thumbnail sketch, or I'm going to do a gesture sketch for a couple minutes. Once I get started, it's cruising. And I, I'm actually kind of addicted to timers too. I'll set a timer. I might set a timer for, for 30 minutes. Oh, if that feels like too long, 15 minutes. Oh, if that's too long, 10 Less than three, not really worth setting a timer, but really helps me kind of get started on things that might feel a little difficult. And uh, yeah, th th those are the two I think I'll actually stick with. Those are the two. <laughs> Trust and process and a creative person is never bored. Those are those are wonderful. I think, I mean, I feel like you probably have a dozen in, in your mind and we should probably <laughs> tap into that. And <laughs> But we'll stick with two. I did have a question just to go back to, you mentioned you know, talking to scientists about activation energy. And then I started thinking, have you inspired any scientists to draw or paint? Uh, yes, I have. I have a really dear friend um, who is named Erin Pettit. Uh, she's a um, glaciologist and founder of a remarkable program called Inspiring Girls Expeditions. And I've helped uh, I think inspire some of Erin's art process and also um, worked with her on on the whole art component of Inspiring Girls Expeditions was just, just a really remarkable group. And yeah, I, you know, scientists are often really busy too in the field, but it's been fun mm -hmm. to share, um, you know, those, those tools, tools for observation. And I, I love just the different way, the different tools we can all use to go observe the world, whether scientists or artists or writers. I mean, there's, I mean, we all have tools in which we use to experience and um, interpret the world. That's wonderful. Now, I'm at that point when I'm going to uh, ask the listener to just continue holding on, and we're going to talk about maybe some homework for them, something that they can try. This has been a wonderful conversation. We've learned so much, and I would love for them to be able to walk away and say, I'm going to do this thing now. So, Maria, what would you recommend as homework for the, for the listener? Well, what I'm going to recommend is if you found it challenging lately to go pick up your art supplies, I'm going to give you this little boost of energy and I'm going to give you the homework to um, go get just your basic fundamentals, your sketchbook and a pen. And if you have a little watercolor palette and a brush, great. Then I want you just to set a timer for three minutes and find, just make something, okay? How about a little gesture or a little contour sketch? Put a little paint and pen on paper. Maybe it's your mug in front of you or your lamp. But just embrace practice, not perfection, and um, and, and go, go create. Keep it simple and have fun. Love that. I think that uh, I'm going to put that in my back pocket. I could have used, I think, some of that, someone telling me that a few weeks ago and uh, <laughs> being able to to hang my head on that as an opportunity because sometimes it feels like there's just too much going on and you know maybe it is with watercolor it's easier maybe it is that it's just paper and a, and a pencil or a pen and you don't have to break out the watercolors but um, obviously it's much harder with oils but I, I I really like that idea of just embracing kind of three minutes set a timer off you go and uh, maybe you don't have to observe the stop <laughs> so maybe... <laughs> yep yep <laughs> If you get in your groove, keep going. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I 100% agree. Mm -hmm. So I know that um, you've got other commitments, so I don't want to keep this, uh, have this run too, too long for you. So I wanted to uh, just thank you so much for being on the show. But before I let you go, I wanted to uh, maybe have you tell us where people can find you both on Instagram, online, um, that kind of thing. And obviously we'll link to our toolkit, the company as well, but maybe you can talk a little bit about where people can find you online. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. You can see my personal art, expeditionaryart.com. That's like expedition, A-R-Y, art.com. And um, you can look me up on Instagram and, and maybe I'll get my, my Instagram groove back a little more, but I'm at exped art i think oh dear mike i'm gonna have to look that up and then at art toolkit um is our, our company as well and you can sign up for the mailing list which um, i share expeditionary art and art toolkit we share our mailing list um so on my website or our toolkit website you can look us up on on facebook too or you can just just drop me a line and um really enjoy connecting with people so please don't hesitate to reach out with questions or um sharing you know how you use your tools or something you're excited about this is wonderful. I've I've been so excited about this, almost to the point of being nervous talking to you because I've been so excited about using your tools and talking about your journey. And this just, it's been such a wonderful conversation. I hope we have a chance to stay connected online and maybe chat again in the future because this has been incredible. Oh, I hope so, Mike. Thank you again for having me. It's been a real pleasure and, and so much fun to get to chat with another artist and share experiences. Thank you for the, the work you're doing. Thank you. This has been great. And we'll chat soon. <laughs> wonderful. Thank you. Show notes, including links to everything Maria and I spoke about, can be found at drawinginspiration.fm slash 85. You will find a mention in the show notes about a discount code for our toolkit. You can receive 10% off your next order using the code MHDRAWS10. This code expires December 31st, 2022. If you enjoyed the show, please follow, share, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This will help surface the podcast for others to enjoy. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Be kind to yourself and each other, and keep drawing. Theme music for this podcast is Acid Jazz, provided by Kevin McLeod.